Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello. So delighted to see you return once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and it's been a while since we've seen each other here in the shop, and that means I've got something extra special on display for you today as we take a look inside this curious little box here. There's a piece of silver here in this box. If you uh, take a look at it closely, it looks like it could possibly be that of a slug from an old musket from the 1800s. Or could it be a silver fang? That really is the curious bit of this piece of antiquity. And quite pertinent to the subject of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the Sean Ellis film, The Cursed. Uh, first and foremost, I do want to thank everyone for being patient with me as I have been... Uh, getting over bronchitis for like the last two weeks now and it's just kind of held on and i'm just now starting to get my voice back as you can tell it's not in uh tip-top shape but uh slowly but surely getting better and getting over this but uh, you know it, it's been a couple weeks since we've had an episode and i could not wait any longer and while i was sick i've been watching a lot of a lot of horror, a lot of fantasy, a lot of science fiction, uh, some older films that I'm revisiting, uh, some newer things that uh, I haven't had a chance to watch. And one of those things that I never really had the chance to watch but really wanted to was the film the Cursed. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this film. Of course, it uh, premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival under the name Eight for Silver which I thought was a much more interesting name than The Cursed. The Cursed just seemed like kind of a generic term, if not boilerplate term, that, you know, a lot of movies are called Cursed or The Curse or The Cursed. It just, you know, seemed kind of like a, this is the studio stepping in and trying to give you a, a more generic name because they think it's going to draw more of an audience. But to me, the name Eight for Silver, uh, it suggests a lot of things. Uh, it does suggest werewolf uh, when you invoke the term silver. And maybe that's what the studios and, and, and everyone was afraid of, that, you know, werewolves aren't, they're not in vogue right now. But for whatever reason, they changed the name from Eight for Silver to The Cursed. And the trailer for this has been out for quite some time. I remember seeing this uh, quite some time ago, and I just kept waiting, waiting. Is this going to come out? Is it going to come out? You know, Sundance uh, 2021 was back in January of last year. So we've, we've waited for over a year. And then finally, 
the film got its theatrical release in February here in the States. Now, unfortunately for me, uh, my th movie theater, uh, any of the movie theaters locally, uh, did not show this. So I've been waiting for it to come on uh, video on demand, to which I saw on Amazon Prime that it did. Uh, you had the chance to watch it early access, but I was not going to pay $20 to watch early access. So I waited even longer. Uh, and then finally over the weekend, uh, it finally came out for regular rentals, so I plucked down my $5.99 and finally got to watch The Curse. And was the anticipation, was the wait worth it? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, it remains to be talked about. And we're going to talk about uh, that very thing in this podcast. And uh, right off the bat, I, I didn't hate the movie. Uh, I didn't love it. Uh, there was a lot I really liked about it. Uh, there were some things that I wish would have been done a little differently. But uh, ultimately, we're going to talk about all the things I liked, all the things I didn't care for, uh, what could have been done maybe a little differently, and ultimately whether this was worth the watch. Now, right off the bat, Sean Ellis, uh, who I was not really terribly familiar with his work, and there's a lot of actors in this that uh, I know the names, but I wasn't terribly familiar with a lot of their work. Uh, I, I was quite impressed with what he did because not only did Sean Ellis direct, uh, he wrote this, uh, he was the cinematographer for this. So this really was a singular vision of Sean Ellis. And you could really tell there was a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of attention to detail put into this. This was a labor of love from Sean Ellis. And, and it really shone through in the production of this movie. Now, I think where... Uh, things may have, it may have been to the detriment of the movie it is in the, maybe in the writing, uh, some of the storytelling, I think things could have been tightened up a little bit. Things could have been, uh, dots could have been connected a little bit better or, or even not even attempted to connect at all, uh, leave you guessing, but there were, there were some loose connections here and there that just kind of made the story feel a little bit sloppy and we'll get into all that here briefly, but the whole crux of the movie, and I'm going to try not to be too terribly spoilery. There's going to be some minor spoils, uh, but but hopefully I won't spoil things too much. But we start off, and, and this is one of the things that kind of got a little, maybe not confusing, but it just seemed a little superfluous, is the time jumping at the beginning and at the end of the movie. It starts out in 1917, I believe, uh, Battle of the Somme. It's in World War One. We follow this British captain as he ends up being wounded and taken to a medical tent. They're pulling bullets out of him. He has three bullet wounds, but they pull four bullets out of him. And one of them is not a German bullet. Uh, it's a large silver bullet. Uh, looks like the kind that you would find uh, coming out of a musket. Then we do a jump to a different area. I'm assuming it's still present day in, in 1917, but it's a different area, a different character. And then from that character, we do a time jump to 35 years earlier. It, it was all a little bit confusing. The only problem I had with all this, I've seen the trailer and I've seen the kids in the trailer and the British captain that we see in, a, in the beginning, bears a striking resemblance to one of the kids that are a main point in this movie. 
And so I knew this was an older version of that kid. Spoiler alert. Uh, you're going to figure it out real quick. I, I don't even look at it as much of a spoil uh, because uh, they set up a mystery that really they gave away right off the bat. I didn't know anything about this story or these characters. And right off the bat, I knew what this was. I knew what the story was as far as, you know, this this character we're introduced to at the beginning and then the younger version of him that we get in the flashback that comprises the the majority of this movie. But we're back in the late 1800s, 19th century. Uh, it's France, although it's really funny. They keep talking about French towns uh, throughout this and events that happened in French towns, uh, but nobody speaks with a French accent. So I, I felt like it was... Uh, supposed to be at first i thought it was supposed to be set in great britain uh i found out later no this is france uh, everybody's got a british accent but we meet uh, this family the laurent family the husband seamus uh, wife isabel uh, the daughter charlotte and the son edward seamus laurent is a a land baron uh, he's kind of running this settlement, and he finds out that gypsies have have a claim to part of the land that he uh, claims is his, and they're settling, and essentially uh, he massacres them, along with some of the other town elders. And a woman, uh, she kind of seems like one of the elders of this uh, group of Romani, these gypsies, uh, she lays a curse on the land and dies a horrific death, her and her I don't know whether it's her guardian or some some gentleman that is with her, protecting her. Uh, they both meet a horrific death. He is uh, nailed to a cross, almost very biblical. Uh, he has his hands and his feet cut off and straw shoved in them and a hood bag put over his head and becomes a human scarecrow and they bury her alive. Now, before all this, we do get introduced to these uh, these silver teeth. Uh, it's almost like these silver fang dentures that they, they make. And they talk about the, the gypsies, the Romani. Uh, they talk about how they've protected them before and they will protect them again. And they create this these fangs, these, these silver fangs, uh, to which there are runes marked on them. She does some sort of incantation and they're buried with her. Now, after this massacre... Uh, a lot of the people in the town, especially the kids, uh, Charlotte and Edward and this other uh, young man, Timmy, uh, all start to have dreams about this scarecrow, about this uh, Romani woman, about unearthing these these fangs. And and really, I think that is a, a, a great vehicle in this movie for introducing. Because, you know, if you're somebody who is putting a curse on something... Especially something like this, these these silver fangs, for lack of a better term. What better way to unleash this curse than to plant the idea in the minds of kids? Kids are curious. Kids are always looking for adventure. They're always looking to, to go find buried treasure. And you plant this idea in their dreams, and you know they're going to go look for it. And these kids do go look for it, find it, and the curse is unleashed. And, you know, if you've seen the trailer and we're talking about silver, we're talking about uh, fangs uh, made of silver, uh, it's it's no great surprise that this is a werewolf movie. But one of the things I thought was kind of cool about this is that Sean Ellis 
Uh, made a werewolf movie, but it's not your atypical werewolf movie. The Curse of the Werewolf is brought about differently. Uh, it has a different mythology to it uh, than you're used to. The look of the werewolf is quite different than any werewolf movie you're used to. It's it's uh, to me, I I don't want to say it's better, but and maybe just because it's different, it's so different than the typical you know guy turns into essentially a hairy wolf creature. Uh, this isn't like that per se. Uh, you do get the transformation into a creature, but it's not hairy at all. It doesn't have the uh, it doesn't look like a wolf in the typical sense, which, like I said, I, I think it made it different enough that it was interesting. But the creature acted werewolfish enough to recognize it as such. Now, without breaking down the movie scene by scene and beat by beat, because I, I don't want to do that, because if you haven't watched this, I do want you to watch it, but we're going to talk about some of the characters and some of the actors who played them, uh, some of the plot points that they're involved in. Uh, one of the things I really did like about this movie, uh, aside from some of the flaws I think it had in it, I think, if anything, this movie, one, boasted a, a brilliant look. Uh, I love the look of this movie, and we'll kind of get into that here in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the cast, which I thought was really strong. And while I wasn't familiar, I mean, I, I had a passing knowledge of some of the names. I'd heard some of these names before. Uh, I didn't know a lot about some of their filmographies, and I really enjoyed the cast in spite of not knowing a lot about uh, some of these actors. Now, the movie stars Boyd Holbrook. He plays John McBride. He's a pathologist who is brought in to kind of investigate things. Uh, there's a cholera epidemic going on. But you can tell right off the bat, he's not really interested in that. Uh, he's got something else he's looking for. Uh, he asks right away if there's been any sign of gypsies. So you know he has some sort of link to this group of gypsies that came through and that were slaughtered. And he has some link to what's going on that we, we're not quite sure of. And and uh, there is never really... I, I think this movie tries to set up a lot of mysteries. But none of the mysteries ever have any real big reveal. Because we find out that he has had, in a sense, a run-in with these gypsies. Had a run-in with these this curse before. This curse has paid a toll on his life uh, personally. And while he's not, doesn't ever seem like he's out for revenge. He feels like he is out hunting something. And I think he brings a lot of, you know, he brings that kind of leading man feel to the role. Uh, that, you know, the, the traditional uh, hero role. But he also brings a bit of empathy and pathos, uh, given what he's lost due to his own run-ins with this curse. You, you feel that. It, it, it's never overwhelming. You know, He doesn't feel like a sad character, but he feels like a character on a mission. And and I thought he played the part really well. Uh, now, I wasn't really 100% aware of a lot of his work before this. I do know, you know he had a role in Logan, uh, The Predator. He's been in that. Uh, he's got actually some roles coming up. Uh, he's going to be in the new... Indiana Jones film that uh, should be coming out sometime next year. He's also going to play the Corinthian in the Sandman uh, Netflix series that uh, no real word yet on, on when that uh, 
is coming out, but that should be coming out on Netflix sometime, I would hope, in the not-too-distant future. He also is in that Netflix series, Narcos. Uh, so the guy's got some acting chops, and he's done quite a bit. I just had not seen a lot or didn't remember him. You know, I didn't remember him in Logan or The Predator, uh, but I really enjoyed his portrayal of this John McBride character because he felt... Uh, you know, he felt like a guy with a past without being too over the top with it, uh, without being melodramatic and felt like a man of action that, uh, that, that I, I just, I kind of enjoy that. It's not a very complicated character, but it is a, it's a good hero. It's a good guy to get behind, to root for. Uh, another one of the actresses, uh, involved in this is Kelly Riley, who plays the wife of the land baron, Isabel Laurent, uh, Another fine actress. Uh, I, I'm not really 100% familiar with a lot of her work, but I know she's done a lot of stuff. And, and just watching this, this was a, a a role that I wish she could have had more of an arc because I really enjoyed her performance. The uh, the time she really does get to act, uh, you really feel it. And, and and she does a fantastic role. I, I would like I said, I would love to have seen this Isabel character have more of an arc, more agency to the story. And because I thought Kelly Riley did a really good job with the character, what little she was kind of given. Because you hear you've got this this grieving mother. Uh, she's she's lost her son. She doesn't you know he's he's nowhere to be found. Uh, you know she's expecting the worst. She knows the secrets that uh, this family and and her husband Seamus hold in, in relation to the curse that has befallen this this township and this community. And I think she plays the weight of all that really well. So I, I really liked Kelly Riley's performance. Just wish there was a little more. A little more real estate for her to to have this character developed a little more. And speaking of her husband, Seamus, uh, Alistair Petrie uh, plays Seamus Laurent. And he, of course, uh, you, you've seen a lot of things. You may not know the name, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, some of the things I remember, of course, the the terror that came out here, oh, geez, a few couple years back, a few years back. Um, he's just done uh, tons of things over the years. One of those actors that you've seen him, you recognize the face, but uh, but you may not remember the name. He he did a fantastic job. I really liked him as this character of Seamus Laurent, the the hard and stern land baron. Uh, he played that role very well. And while we didn't get a lot of his backstory, he played it like. Like there was a backstory. There was a story to tell as to how he got to where he is, especially in regards to the fact that the the Romani, the gypsies, they had a claim to this piece of his land and he got it. Uh, he obtained this land by an ill-begotten means. And there's a story there and you, and you feel there's a backstory that's under the surface in, in his performance that... Uh, we'll never know, but it felt, the character felt rich. The character felt textured. Uh, the character felt like there was, there was more going on behind the scenes in his life that we don't get to see, whether it's how he got the land, uh, from the Romani, uh, his relationship with his wife. There's a real bizarre scene where his wife's bathing and she's topless and he walks in and just kind of looks at her. There's a sternness to him, 
but he has a great scene at the end where he knows that he can't go on any longer and 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 you feel a real remorse uh, from him that he he was sorry for bringing all of this to bring this curse upon his family maybe not so much the townspeople maybe he didn't care about them but his family he he you know you could tell he was really truly sorry for what he had done to do this to his family and when he had the opportunity to do the right thing uh, he did it without hesitation and i think that speaks a lot to the to the strength of this character whether it's the kind of strength that takes lan from marginalized people and i don't say that in a a good way uh it takes a cold and mean and calculating and diabolical strength to do that uh it's not a strength that should be aspired to it's a cruel strength but he went from having that kind of strength to the empathetic and the remorseful strength it took to do what needed to be done to end the curse for his part it was a real triumph of alistair petrie to really kind of play the, those two different types of uh, of strength if you will the cold stern bastard and the husband and father that's willing to make any sacrifice for the benefit of his family. Another actress that was was prominent in this, but I really felt didn't get a lot to do was uh, Amelia Crouch, who played Charlotte. Um, I, I really I liked her performance. I just don't think this character got enough for being on the screen quite a bit. Uh, we didn't get much of an arc for this character. And I've heard some reviewers and some critics talk about how uh, hers was a standout performance. I, I I can't say it was a, it wasn't a bad performance, but I can't say it was a standout performance because it really, her character, there was no agency. Uh, she didn't really play a part other than just being a bystander to all the things that were going on. Uh, she revealed a couple she didn't even reveal any pertinent information. She just kept a secret that prolonged this whole thing longer than it needed to go. And I personally would have liked to have seen this character of, of Charlotte have a little bit more of an arc in this story. Uh, have a little bit more uh, pertinence to the story other than, like I said, just being a bystander. Because what they did do with the Charlotte character in this, I thought Amelia Crouch did a, a really good job. Uh, I think she's a really fine young actress. I, I would just like to have seen them uh, give her more to do in this. Other than screaming, crying, and again, keeping secrets that, that really had no bearing on the story other than just prolonging the inevitable. And there were a lot of other kind of uh, you know, tertiary characters. Roxanne Duran plays the housemaid Anais. She did an excellent job for, for again, what what the character called for. Uh, the character uh, was really just kind of a background character for the bulk of the movie uh, until she had a scene, uh, some scenes late in the movie. that uh, did, She did a really good job with the terror of the scene, I thought. But the character itself really wasn't a standout character, uh, like I said, until things came to the very end. There were a couple more characters. Mac McIntosh played... Uh, the young Edward, which again, he really wasn't in a lot of the movie uh, there towards the beginning. 
and then towards the end, but what, what little he had to do. Uh, I mean, the Edward character is prominent throughout the movie. We only really get to see him in the beginning and the end. Uh, but he did a, a fine job with what, you know, what screen time he did have. Uh, Tommy Roger played Timmy, who was one of the kids that kind of, you know, that curiosity of childhood of wanting to find treasure, the things you'd been dreaming about, uh, the mystery of of these dreams and and what had happened. Uh, he really kind of uh, jump starts the curse, as it were. Uh, and and Tommy Roger, I thought, played a really good uh, role in this. He was probably the one character that had the most to do as far as complexity of their character. You know, he's he's this kind of kind of the 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 older kid, the bigger kid, who kind of bosses everyone around. Hey, let's go do this that you're not supposed to do. Let's go break windows. He's the kid that's always getting you and your friends in trouble uh, when you were younger uh, because he's always got some sort of scheme. Let's go uh, cause some mischief. And he's the one that gets these group of kids to go look for what they've all dreamed about. And then once they find it, he's the one that finds these these silver fangs that, again, like I said, he he's the one that is the reason this curse gets set in, maybe not set in motion, because Seamus Laurent really set this all in motion with what he did to the, to the gypsies. But as far as the curse sinking its teeth into things, into the community, uh, Timmy is the character that, that does that. And then you get that shock and horror of what he did and the remorse and the fear and the, you know, he's the, he's the one that guides people with what he discovers uh, because there's a lot of talk about the 30 pieces of silver that Judas was paid to betray Jesus in biblical times. Uh, there's a lot of talk of that. There's a lot of biblical imagery uh, throughout this movie, whether it's that, uh, whether it's the, the crucifixion of the, the uh, Romani character that, that's turned into the scarecrow, uh, passages from the Bible uh, about silver, and there's, there's a lot of religious imagery uh, throughout this. And, and the Timmy character uh, invokes a lot of that with, you know, uh, passing along uh, pages from the Bible with, with the verses about the betrayal of Jesus and the 30 pieces of silver. Passage from, I believe, Ezekiel, where it talks about uh, melting silver and kind of leads uh, all these characters, even though he has an untimely demise, uh, his actions and the depth of his character is the one that kind of sets things in motion as to resolving this curse. So yeah, he comes across the beginning as a dickhead. <laughs> he comes across later as a very uh, remorseful and repentant and, and, and scared. Uh, he plays the fear well. Uh, he's obviously a resourceful and smart kid because he connected the dots that kind of lent everyone else to being able to uh, fight this curse. He's the one that started all of that. So uh, I thought the character was really interesting. Uh, it's a shame we didn't see more of of Tommy Rogers as Timmy in this movie because I thought he played the character really well. This is probably one of the most interesting characters 
uh, aside from the John McBride character and the uh, Isabel Laurent character, and, and even to some degree, Seamus Laurent is a very interesting character. Of the kids, the Timmy character was probably the most interesting to me. But the cast, uh, all in all, even even a lot of the tertiary characters and the, the background characters uh, just were very interesting. Good actors, good character actors. Um, the stars were, I thought, really good with what a lot of them were given. And I don't think some of them were given very much to do. I thought they all did an excellent job. I, I couldn't name one person in this cast that was a weak link. They all did very well. Uh, my biggest problems were in how some of the characters were written, uh, not necessarily how they were acted or portrayed. Another thing, aside from the cast, that I really loved about this was the look. I thought Sean Ellis did a fantastic job with the look of this. And like I said, you know, he was the director. Not only did he write and direct, he was the cinematographer. So it really was a singular, cohesive vision as to the look of this. I mean, this is set in the 1800s, late 1800s. It's a lot of torchlight and candlelight and lamplight. It's very dark and, and gritty. And they use the fog machine to great effect. I was just listening to somebody, I can't remember who it was, talked about how fog machines aren't used as as well anymore as they, they used to be. And that's one of the things, you know, that's just kind of one of those tropes of horror is the foggy, misty uh, atmosphere. And, and Sean Ellis did that. Like every scene outside has a foggy mist to it. And just added to a, a creepy atmosphere. He used establishing shots that were just very silent, if that makes any sense. Uh, just had a quiet eeriness about them. And the acting and the, the scenes were set in an eerie quietness. Which gave a lot of this film a very otherworldly feel to it. Just the look and the feel of the whole movie just had... Uh, an eerie hauntedness about it. And it felt very lived in. I, I really was impressed with a lot of the, the house, uh, a lot of the set pieces uh, of the church. Uh, everything had a quality that you felt like you were immersed into this world, into this settlement. You felt like you were in the 1800s. Now, I'm not a historian, but uh, but even the costume design was all very, felt very period realistic to me. Uh, again, I'm not a historian. I don't know what exactly they were wearing back then, but it felt real to me. And it, it felt, uh, it didn't feel like a movie playing at being in the 1800s. It felt like you were kind of plunked down into the 1800s. Like I said, a lot of that natural candle and torchlight really helped. And the fact that they were very sparing with the reveals of the creature, uh, this werewolf-like creature, uh, really helped in in building that creepy and spooky atmosphere. Uh, we never really get a good look at the creature until closer to the end. Um, maybe the third act is where we really start to get some better looks. But the one thing that I really liked is that they were they were very sparing with with the reveals. Uh, you'd get a little glimpse of a leg. You'd get a little flash of of teeth. You'd get a little a little glimpse, just enough to whet your appetite, and that really helped because the creature was, for the most part, complete CG, uh, which I, I'm always against that. If if you can get away with doing practical, do practical, uh, because CG always looks uh, bad. 
uh, not always. I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, there there are some digital effects places that that do CG really well, but on a budget, you're generally not getting great CG. Now, I've heard people bemoan the CG werewolf in this, uh, saying it's laughable. I, I didn't think it was that bad, but it wasn't that great. And 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 I think you know, I think they understood that. Uh, you've got a CG creature. Uh, don't show it that much. And, and they didn't. I thought that really worked. That really helped with the mystery of what this creature was. Uh, it made the reveal all that much better. And it also uh, upped the, the creep factor. You know, this is a creature feature of sorts. And and when you're just, I, I just you, you get to the point where you just can't take it anymore. You've got to see it. you got to see it. And all you're getting is a little glimpse here and there. And... And, you know, it's those moments where you want it to pay off in the very end. And they, they do pay it off. Uh, but till you get to that point, it builds you to a fever pitch. And and I thought they did a good job with that. Keeping the visuals of this werewolf to a minimum until you absolutely have to. I thought a very smart move on their part, like I said, given the fact that it wasn't top quality CG work on this on this creature. But ultimately, the look and the feel of this movie just, it was just as creepy as you thought it was going to be in the trailer. And that's one of the things, uh, the trailer really uh, set the tone uh, for atmosphere with this. There was a lot of expectation when it came to the atmosphere of this movie. And the movie did not disappoint uh, in the atmosphere department. Uh, in the look department, this just had a stunning look. Uh, the visuals were were haunting and eerie and beautiful all at the same time, and it just had a fantastic look about it that really made this such an enjoyable watch. Uh, from that aspect, now one of the things I thought was a little lacking, and and I hate to say this because I think the story in and of itself, the essence of the story, I thought it was really good. It was a very simple story, and I wish it was just a little more simply told because there are some mysteries that are set up in this that really don't really have a big reveal. Uh, you have the mystery of the captain at the beginning of the movie that's in World War One that's shot, uh, but you, you figure out right away, like I figured out right away who that was, uh, so that wasn't a mystery. Uh, you have the mystery of what happens to John McBride's wife and daughter in this town that had a similar curse. But it's it's not the big reveal isn't that much of a reveal that the same gypsies that cursed this place cursed the town that he was in before. It didn't matter. It didn't have any bearing on this. You have the threat of this werewolf. And whoever bites is going to turn into a werewolf. So there was really an opportunity to increase the uh, the menace of this movie. And and they didn't do that. Everybody that turned into a werewolf. Uh, this may be a bit of a spoiler, but it, it's, it's not that big of a spoiler. Everybody that gets turned into a werewolf uh, gets dispatched of right away. So it's not like this, this werewolf problem is growing out of control. The, the werewolf problem never felt out of control. It felt like they, you know, they had it under control pretty much for the whole thing. Uh, the only problem was they had to find uh, this this main werewolf that they're tracking. 
And it never felt like this werewolf was stalking anybody. It just attacked random people here and there. It's not like it was going after the town elders that started this whole thing by wiping out the group of gypsies that were on what they thought was their land. The rules of the game aren't quite clear because you have uh, one person that's turned into a werewolf and it, it's wondered, it's it's supposed, well, can they come back from this? And the answer is no. But at the end, we find out that somebody does come back from this. And the, the idea is that silver was the key to that. Uh, it's never explicitly said. Uh, you have to kind of draw your own conclusion for that. But even that wasn't really set up as a mystery uh, because we see things happen. We see somebody saved from being a werewolf and we're just supposed, we're just left to figure out on our own what happened. And, and once you think about it, okay, I guess this is why, but it's never really said. And like I've said before, I, I think the script really suffered because I don't think uh, some of these characters really had nothing to do but be be there and just kind of go with the flow. I really wish I could have seen a little more character building and character arcs for some of these characters, like the Charlotte character, like the Isabel character had a little bit of an arc, but not much. I wish I could have seen more from the John McBride character. Uh, while I did love this character, and I loved Boyd Holbrook's portrayal of this character, I wish I could have... Uh, I just wish there was a little more urgency to what he was doing. Uh, if I had a little more reason to, un I, there was a little more understanding as to why he was doing and what he was doing, hunting this, uh, this curse. And like I said, a little more urgency to why he felt he had to, to fix this. I think I would have enjoyed that character a little more than I, than I already did. And the menace, like I said, there really didn't feel like a ton of menace in this. Uh, everything seemed under control for the most part throughout the bulk of this movie. Now there again, that's not to say I didn't like it because I actually really did like this movie. It wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. Uh, it wasn't scary uh, per se. I mean, if you frighten easily, then yeah, there's going to be some things that scare you. The atmosphere and the creepiness is going to scare you. Uh, it, it takes a lot to scare me in a movie. I did enjoy that creepy feeling, that feeling of dread that that hung over this movie like the the mist on the grass throughout uh, throughout this and i i thought the atmosphere was really haunting and and that's one of the things i really loved about this i love the story uh, i i thought it was a simple story i think it just could have been a little more succinctly told the movie is about 113 minutes it could have shaved off maybe 10 minutes and kind of tightened things up a little bit uh, i would have enjoyed it a little more but uh, like I said, I just wish there was a little more urgency in this. But I really did like the story. I like the idea behind the story. I like the mythos behind the story. I liked the rethinking of how the uh, werewolf genre, uh, the werewolf curse is, is kind of introduced into this. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed a lot of the characters. Uh, like I said, I, I don't think some of them were fleshed out very well. Uh, but I really did enjoy these characters, and I really enjoyed, uh, loved a lot of the actors playing these characters. Like I said before, I just wish that these actors had a little more to work with. I wish their characters that they were playing had uh, a little more 
defined arcs to give them a little more, like I said, agency in this and not just be uh, along for the ride like some of the characters felt. And there were a couple like really cheap jump scares. I mean, there were some jump scares. Like I've, I've said before, I don't mind a jump scare in a horror movie as long as it pertains to the horror that is going on on the screen. If a monster comes out of the nowhere and bum rushes somebody, okay, I'm okay with that because it's part of the horror on the screen. When it's just a jump scare, just like in this, there was a scene where uh, Seamus Laurent is looking through the house trying to find somebody. John McBride is in the kitchen uh, making tea or coffee and you see Laurent going upstairs by candlelight looking around and it's very quiet and all of a sudden it's a jump cut to a coffee grinder in the kitchen where John McBride's making coffee. It just it was a it was a terrible attempt at a jump scare because it wasn't even really that scary. That annoyed me because I was like, this movie is so much better than that. Even if it wasn't scary per se, it just felt so out of place. So that was probably my biggest critique of this whole movie was that shitty jump scare or attempt at a jump scare that uh, wasn't even that good. That wasn't even that scary. It didn't feel like it fit in this movie because this movie was all about atmosphere. This movie was all about tension and it set a lot of that. And it was about characters that even though some of these characters weren't fully realized, uh, it was about great characters and great actors playing these characters. And, and an interesting enough story, like I said, if it could have just been fine-tuned a little bit, I think we would have had a really great horror movie. As it stands, it's a it's a, it's a good movie. It's, it's worth a watch. Am I going to go back and watch it again? Probably not, because it wasn't that scary. Uh, I wished it would have been scarier. I wish it would have paid off a lot of the tension and a lot of the atmosphere that really set the table for something that could have been really scary and spooky. But unfortunately, it didn't come through in that regard for me personally. But suffice it to say, like I said, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, I'm glad I watched it. I think it's a good movie. Could have been a great movie, but it's still at least a good movie and, and worth you know, taking the time to watch it. So there you have it. That's my look at uh, Sean Ellis's The Cursed. If you watched it, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully you uh, enjoyed it as much as I did. I, like I said, I for all of its faults and all the things I didn't like about it, I did really enjoy watching this movie. I'm glad I watched it. Hopefully you did as well. If you haven't seen it, uh, hopefully it didn't spoil too much for you. But go check it out for yourself. Don't take my word or anybody else's word for it. Watch it yourself. See if you like it. And really, if you're the one that likes it, uh, that's the only one that matters. So go uh, see if you enjoy it. And hopefully, I'm looking forward to more. I, I think Sean Ellis is a good director. I wasn't familiar with a lot of his work up until till now. And I'm, I'm looking forward to more. I'd like to see him do a little more in the horror genre. Because I think he's got a great eye. If anything, this movie had a spectacular look to it and spectacular atmosphere and he really set the table and you know that's that's this great jumping off point for horror is if you've got a great look it's visually stunning and you set an atmosphere that really like i said lays out the table for what could be really good horror so excited to see more from sean ellis in the future uh, after watching the cursed
want to thank you for taking the time to uh, listen to me as I'm uh, still getting over this bronchitis. Uh, thanks for listening. And please check out Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook, where we're always posting uh, trailers from the latest TV shows and movies that are coming out in horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. Always pass along articles from various sources all over the internet to keep you up to date with what's going on in the world of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And who knows what else we'll throw on there. I try to add my two cents from time to time. Uh, we've got some other things we're working on. Um, not only are we going to do the Monday and Thursday uh, full podcast uh, editions of Hods Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, but we're also talking about maybe doing something, some supplemental episodes, some shorter, you know, five... 10-minute episodes, uh, random curiosities, if you will, uh, where I can kind of, in the middle of the week, if I'm watching something, I want to opine on it for a little bit, uh, something that may, I may do a, a full breakdown of a series later, but I want to talk about a particular episode um, of a series I happen to be watching and wait until till the whole thing's done. I can do that. Uh, so hopefully that adds a little more content to the podcast, uh, a little more real-time content, if you will. And uh, we're working on that, uh, hopefully getting that going here within the next week or two. So I'll be on the lookout for some random curiosities to help supplement your Monday and Thursday episodes of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And no matter where you're listening to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, whatever podcast platform, please subscribe, download it, share it with all your friends and family and loved ones that love horror, fantasy, and sci-fi as much as we do. And as always, leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever review you leave us, we certainly do appreciate it. Until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.